Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go in-depth on all things Hawkeyes. This is Hawk Central. On Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. Happy Wednesday, Hawkeye fans, and welcome into the latest episode of the Hawk Central Radio Hour right here on 106.3 KXNO. My name is Chad Leistico, and we are with you from 6 to 7 p.m. tonight. I work for the Des Moines Register. I'm a sports columnist. I cover the Iowa Hawkeyes, and we'll soon be joined by Tyler Tashman, who also covers the Hawkeyes, with me at the Register. The Hawkeye football team carries a 7-2 and record into this Saturday's matchup against visiting Rutgers after the Hawkeyes posted a 10-7 win against Northwestern at Wrigley Field. For the eighth time since the start of the 2021 season, Iowa gained under 175 yards in offense. Amazingly, it has won four of those games, including on Saturday with 169 yards. We have spent hours and hours and shows and shows lamenting the offense for the Hawkeyes, what they're going to do going forward. And all of last week, of course, we spent discussing the eventual dismissal of offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz. There's very little optimism for this broken offense moving forward, but one thing we probably gloss over or don't talk about enough is the Iowa defense and the Iowa special teams. We're going to try to take care of that for you tonight. The defense held Northwestern to 170 yards, and certainly the special teams came through with a blocked punt by Ontario Thompson setting up the only touchdown and Drew Stevens' 53-yard field goal to beat Northwestern with 14 seconds left. Yes, 53 yards. They switched it officially from 52 to 53, for those wondering. Tyler Tashman, here's my question to you. Can those two units collectively take this team to the finish line in the Big Ten title game? Uh, just to get there to win. <laughs> to get there, yeah. We're, yeah, we're not going to talk about winning that. <laughs> Yeah, okay. I was just making sure I heard that right. Um, I think they can. You know, it, we, we've seen the last, I wouldn't say the last few weeks, but against Northwestern, against Purdue, against Michigan State, against Wisconsin, how Iowa can really win these games. Ugly, it can do it basically with very little offense and a, a passing game that's almost non-existent. So I think it's possible. I just think that the... Uh, margin for error is razor thin you have to I think number one is offensively take care of the ball you can't you know Iowa's offense isn't good at all even when it you know when it when it has the ball and so if you're giving it up on a consistent basis and I mean that's just it's just kind of uh you know putting yourself behind an eight ball that that you can't get back from and we can't get out from behind of and that's what we saw against the Minnesota game with Deacon Hill's three turnovers so Yes, I think it's possible. I think Iowa's defense is that good. It's allowed just uh, one touchdown in the last three games. It almost went three games without allowing a touchdown because mm-hmm. uh, against Northwestern, that, that, that touchdown it allowed came late in the game. And really, I mean, Northwestern had great field position as well, so it wasn't like they allowed a 90-yard you know, yard, uh, you know, drive or anything like that. But uh, I think the defense is good enough, and the special teams, uh, as well, not only I mean it, it, the, 
special teams, it's not just the brilliance of Tory Taylor, who has certainly got a lot of uh, attention, but it's also Drew Stevens. It's also Cooper DeGene uh, returning punts. It's also guys like Ontario Thompson, who uh, blocked his second uh, punt this season. It, mm-hmm. you know, it feels like a collective effort from that unit. Yeah, I would say most years you can't, you have to have some offense. But this year in the Big Ten West, I do think uh, the defense and special teams can get them to the finish line. But I, I really like what you said about no turnovers. That's that's the one thing these last two weeks, Iowa collectively minus four in turnover margin against Minnesota and Northwestern with zero takeaways on defense. So uh, they got to get that fixed if they want to to win these final three games or even two of the final three games. We'll get to the math problems a little bit later uh, regarding the Big Ten West. But let's give the the defense a little love here, Tyler. Uh, As we record this, we do not know uh, what the fate is for Noah Shannon. We are recording this earlier on Wednesday. He may get the clearance uh, by Wednesday afternoon uh, to return to the field. But let's talk about kind of uh, the best parts of the Iowa defense. Uh, We did kind of... Uh, shower praise on Jay Higgins on our Tuesday podcast. But uh, I'll start, Tyler, by just saying I feel like we've just seen constant improvement from this defense. You know, we had questions after the early season about the defensive line. I feel like uh, YA Black has really uh, stepped up his game. Logan Lee has been tremendous uh, in the trenches. Uh, you'd like to see a little bit more pass rush, you'd like to see a little bit more out of Joe Evans, uh, Deontay Craig. Uh, Max Llewellyn, Ethan Herkett, you'd like to see more pass production there, but just uh, you know, game in and game out, they they just seem to string out these plays, these runs, and just limit big plays uh, at starting up front. It seems like ever since they had that players only meeting mm. earlier mm-hmm. in the season, that that was a real turning point where they basically just wanted to play looser. And, that was the Purdue you know, game, right? Before the yeah, Purdue game? I believe, yeah, yeah, I believe that's right. Yeah, and uh, just play looser with less uh, pressure on themselves. And it, it feels like that, you know, kind of turned the tide to that unit because that, that felt like sort of the last piece that Iowa needed defensively. I don't think there's really much you can ask for uh, for what Iowa's linebackers are doing. I mean, Nick yeah. Jackson has just been an incredible addition from Virginia. Uh, he, I mean, he already came in with a lot of experience, but he has proven basically what Iowa expected. Jay Higgins has been, you know, arguably uh, one of the best linebackers, if not the best linebacker in the country. Uh, the the defensive, uh, you know, cornerbacks, Cooper DeGene has been really good. feels like Jamari Harris might still be kind of continuing to get comfortable as he, you know, returned from the suspension earlier this season. Um, but also that, you know, he missed all of last season as well. Uh, and then the safeties, I mean, we haven't heard a lot about them, and maybe that's a good thing because they haven't really had to, because everything, a lot of stuff kind of gets cleaned up before it even gets to them. But I think Quinn Schulte and Xavier Wampa have been solid. They haven't, uh, you know, recently made any major blunders or anything like that. I, You know, Xavier Wampa, he, he hasn't made any, like, insane plays but he's also i think for a first you know as a first year starter i mean he made the start in the last season's bowl game but as a, as a real starter for the first time this season he's done a solid job something that he can definitely continue to build off of so i think there is still room for them to get better but 
it, I mean, there's not a whole lot because they have just basically been dominant the last few games. I want to give a little shout-out to the linebackers, as you did, Seth Wallace, uh, linebackers coach. He took over in 2016 at that position, and since then they've had five Butkus semifinalists, two Butkus finalists in Josie Jewell and Jack Campbell, one Butkus winner last year uh, with Jack Campbell, and they've also had two Big Ten Players of the Year at linebacker in Jewell and Campbell, and now um, a defensive player of the year in those two guys. So could Jay Higgins be the next? I mean, it's really uh, it's really been impressive what they've done. It's, uh, you know, Iowa's been lucky to hang on to South Wallace this long. I feel like, you know, he's going to be taking a D.C. job at some point in time. Uh, someone's got to be snapping him up soon, I would think. Uh, and uh, no question. Uh, you also can't forget uh, that they had a first-round pick this last year at linebacker. And Yeah, great, great uh, comments on Jackson as well. Uh, he's better than I thought he would be. Uh, he is better. Uh, and Higgins has been uh, beyond uh, what, we could, what we could have thought. You know, when Iowa loses Jack Campbell, Seth Benson, and Justin Jacobs, you, you wonder if it's even possible to get close to that. They've gotten close to it. And then yeah, yeah in the secondary, yeah, go ahead. No, I mean, I was just going to say that as as bad as Iowa's offense has been, I, I think the defense has been almost up to par impressive to watch. And there's parity in it because I think there's just some flash with having a good offense, right? Like throwing the ball around, making big plays, stuff like that. There's just not as much glamour when it comes to a really good defense, but Iowa's defense is just it's fun to watch and, and especially Jay Higgins is an embodiment of that. He basically said earlier this week, like asked about the physicality he plays with, is able to kind of endure the beating he takes and he was like, I'm just gonna play till the wheels fall off. So I thought that was kind of emblematic of Iowa's defense and, and they're basically out there uh, you know, just taking a pounding. But I mean they the way they fly around the field, the way they they play as a unit, um, it, it's just it's a it's really fun to watch. Absolutely, I had some uh, more than one person has sent me uh, comparisons of the Iowa offense versus Iowa defense and the USC offense versus the USC defense, and just kind of kind of laughing at the fact that um, you know uh, USC's differential from offense to defense is, is less than Iowa's differential from offense to defense. And, you know, USC with obviously an elite offense and a terrible defense, Iowa, the, the complete opposite. Uh, we talked about that a little bit on our show uh, Tuesday, that Iowa and USC could meet in the Las Vegas Bowl potentially, uh, even though Caleb Williams probably wouldn't play in that game. Uh, let's just touch on the on the secondary real quick. Yeah, I, f- uh, I feel like the – those guys have just been so steady that, um, you know, when I rewatched the, the game uh, on Peacock, you know, Xavier Wampa, even though he hasn't made splash plays, he's standing out as a guy, as a guy that he's not – there's a reason Iowa's not giving up big plays. Nobody can get over the top of him. I mean, can you think of a time where, where Xavier Wampa's had somebody behind him this season? Yeah, I don't think well, I can. The only one that I can remember, and this is way earlier in the season, was that Western Michigan explosive play where Jamari Harris kind of got beat in a way. Yeah, but that wasn't. But, yeah, we didn't know whose fault that was, but yeah. I, but, but the fact that it's like, oh, that's the only one time you can truly think of is like, 
that's pretty impressive. And that was Jamari's first game back, like first half back. <laughs> and and that basically feels like five years ago. It does. Point, so. <laughs> Iowa scored five off- offensive touchdowns in that game. Cade McNamara was healthy. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, crazy. That was the Max White touchdown game. Everyone was saying Iowa was running up the points to, to save Brian's job. Anyway. And Kamari Moulton, two touchdowns. Yeah. Wow. That is an eternity ago. My I know. goodness. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's talk special teams real quick. We talked to LeVar Woods today on the Zoom. We've gotten almost all the assistants. The only two we haven't gotten yet are Brian Ferentz and Jay Neiman. So LeVar, uh, you know, talked a lot about Cooper DeGene, but a lot about Tory Taylor as well. And uh, one of the reasons I feel like, uh, Tyler, I don't know this is kind of obvious. I mean, we all see what Tory Taylor does on the field. But there's a reason that Iowa keeps winning somehow, some way. And Torrey Taylor is a big reason for that, uh, just his dominance. Now, he did not have the best game the other day. He'll be the first to tell you that. However, over the long haul, especially these last three years, he's been the number one reason they've been able to flip fields. You know, just think about that Wisconsin game and uh, uh, stay in these games. You know, stay alive when the offense keeps going three and out. So, uh, that's yet another it's it's unsustainable based on the just sheer numbers and how awful the offense is but it's also unsustainable because Tory Taylor will not be here after this year well this is how Iowa defense is able to thrive off of its special teams those two just play so well together because if you have Tory Taylor knocking it in uh within the 10 yard line that's I mean there's few things scarier in college football than having the ball near your own goal line against Iowa's defense. So the, those two just, I mean, the, the defense and the special teams, they, they are separate units, obviously, but they almost kind of play as one because uh, it's, it's so much of one playing off the other and, and the other playing off the one that uh, Iowa's defense benefits because of the special teams and then the special teams benefits because of the defense because that's how you got, like, Cooper DeGene's uh, game-winning punt return against Michigan State is uh, partly, in fact, because he was able to catch that ball near, like, the 50-yard line or so, or it was somewhere. Anyway, he caught it it in pretty good field position. So, um, as as, I guess it would be, you almost have, like, Iowa playing complementary football, except it's just with special teams and defense. There's, like, really really no offense, like, involved, but, like, those two phases of the game are just like really well complemented to each other. You're listening to Hawk Central from the Duane Register and KXNO. I'm Chad Leistico talking Hawkeye football with Tyler Tashman. Uh, one more topic here in this segment, and it was kind of funny. I, uh, I tweeted out just a super short tweet last night. Iowa number 22 in the CFP rankings, and so many people were caught off guard by that. And yes, I did not put Iowa in my AT, AP top 25 ballot. Uh, kind of just had them on the outside, but the uh, fact is they are, you know, the fourth best team in the Big Ten right now, and you know they're they're seven and two, and an an, an invalid fair catch signal from being eight and one. So uh, the Hawkeyes are in position to do something. They just need to get a little offense. We know that beating a, a dead horse there, but let's talk about the Big Ten West West race, Tyler. Iowa now four and two in league play, and pretty much needs to go two and one to win the West, unless Nebraska wins out. They would have to beat Maryland, 
which they're a slight underdog this week at home. At Wisconsin next week, that will be difficult. And then, of course, against Iowa on Black Friday. Uh, every Iowa game is a toss-up, so <laughs> we'll call that a toss-up. And as long as Minnesota uh, loses to Ohio State. So the Hawkeyes could lose one of these next three unless those th- unless one of those things happen. According to ESPN's FPI, Iowa has a 71.4% chance to win the West right now. So what do you make of kind of the 22 ranking in the CFP? And, uh, you know, people kind of laughing at it. But I don't think, pe- again, to get back to the USC uh, conversation, like people wouldn't be laughing if USC was 22 and 7 and 2, right? It's just because the, the one, you know, the offense is a punchline. Right, it's just the perception of things. Like I said, having a great offense is flashy. I mean, it's going to make highlights. You're able to throw the ball around, make guys, you know, make guys miss, put up all these points. Defense, having a really good defense is just not as flashy. It's not going to create necessarily as many highlights. And I think we've seen basically the game of football trend away from the way that Kirk Ferentz plays it, which is uh, – holding on to the ball, not making mistakes. You, you see a lot now more up-tempo, spread it out, you know, different looks like that from an offensive standpoint to kind of feed into this idea that you might be looking for kind of the more glamorous and, and things that are going to look good. Iowa doesn't play that way. But, I mean, if you look at Iowa's resume, you know, with, you know they're 7-2, and two, uh, they beat Iowa State on the road, which is actually turning out to be a pretty good win. Mm-hmm. They beat they beat Wisconsin on the road, uh, which which is a pretty good win. And um, I mean, yeah, if you just look at their seven and two, like that's a really good record. And I understand that the eye test is part of it, but like at number twenty two, I don't think the eye test is like as big of a deal as if you're looking at like, oh, is this five versus four in the college football playoff and they have the same amount of losses, like then you probably will, uh, you know, reevaluate. But it's like I, I kind of almost think of it like uh, Virginia basketball. It's like they right. have, they'll have a really good record. I mean, and they won't put up a lot of points, but, like, that doesn't really matter. Their defense is really good. They're still going to get, like, high seeds in the uh, NCAA tournament because of it. No one's going to be like, well, they lost seven games, but, uh, you know, only lost – you know, seven games or whatever, but their offense is horrible. So, like, let's not, you know, make them a three seed in the NCAA tournament. So, uh, obviously, that's not, like, a perfect parallel, but there is just a good sort one. of there, – there's a, a stigma, I guess, a sort of perception that comes around with not putting up a lot of points and just having a bad offense. Exactly. And this segment was not meant to – uh, say Iowa is better than it really is. We are fully aware uh, that they could lose their next three matchups and finish seven and five in the regular season. Uh, and we'll get to to the records matchup next. But uh, the fact is, uh, as a team, they are seven and two. They are twenty two in the playoff rankings. That's a good place to be. I mean, if they could win out, they'll just keep inching up and inching up. And, and suddenly, you know, potentially they could have a ten and two regular season. And uh, those are very, very rare in Iowa football history. All right, an interesting matchup coming up on Saturday. Tyler, we will preview Iowa Rutgers with five big questions next. You're listening to Hawk Central here on 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. I'm your host, Chad Leistico, Hawkeyes columnist for the Des Moines Register. 
Happy to be joined again by Hawkeyes beat writer Tyler Tashman. Tyler, it is Iowa versus Rutgers, 2.30 p.m. kickoff Saturday on BTN from Kinnick Stadium. Corey Provis and Jake Butt on the call. Uh, really like those two guys. Hawkeyes favored by one point. Over under is 29. Uh, un- <laughs> the jokes just, uh, you know, always are coming on that one, but uh, it's, and they always keep going under. It's <laughs> just crazy. Uh, five big questions, Tyler. Number one, uh, let's talk about records here. When Rutgers has the football, how will Iowa try to play the run? The, Re- the Rutgers Scarlet Knights have gained 250 yards rushing in four games already this year and had 231 the other day against Ohio State. Quarterback Gavin Wimsat is a dual threat guy and the Scarlet Knights have the leading rusher in the Big Ten. How do the Hawkeyes play him? Yeah, it, it brings sort of a unique challenge that I don't think Iowa's defense has really seen at this type of level so far season, uh, this season of, of that kind of dual threat quarterback and, and a really good running back along with it. And, and Gavin wins that. Uh, he went for 143 yards on the ground against Indiana So and, and three touchdowns with that long of 80. So... He is a legit threat uh, running the ball, and I think, I mean, it's one, it's just going to be what the type the type of push that Iowa's defensive line can get and their ability to contain the edge because if, if you allow Wimsett to get to the outside, um, that could be an issue, and that's also where I think, uh, you know, Jay Higgins and Nick Jackson come into play of, uh, you know, are, are is Iowa able to stay disciplined with its assignments? You know, it, you need to make sure who is responsible for the running back, who is responsible for Wimsett. And if you lose one of them or, or get, uh, you know, bit, if you bite in on, on a fake, uh, that could be a major issue. So I'm interested to see how I was able to kind of handle this dynamic because I feel like for as good as it's been this season, it hasn't really, this is sort of a unique challenge that it hasn't faced so far. Yeah, you and I were watching some of that Ohio State Rutgers game over at Rizzo's across the street from Wrigley the other day, and uh, I actually rewatched the game last night. Uh, um, and that's a Rutgers is an impressive running outfit. Uh, Kyle Manungai, the running back, 168 rushes this year for 903 yards. That is number one in the Big Ten. He is a fast, powerful guy. Five foot nine, 210 pounds. It is going to be an interesting challenge. Uh, the good news for Iowa is they don't uh, – Rutgers doesn't throw the ball super efficiently. They're under 50% uh, completions for the season. But, man, 5.59 yards per carry, uh, Tyler, uh, and you've already faced top defenses like Michigan, Ohio State, Wisconsin. Uh, this is going to be a real challenge for this Iowa defense. The Hawkeyes do not like to put – uh, an extra safety in the box, but I think they're almost going to have to and just let Cooper DeGene and Jamari Harris and Xavier Wampa kind of take care of the passing game while uh, Quinn Schulte is going to have to probably come down, or Wampa, just depends, uh, and come down and help on the run. We also could see a lot of 4-3 potentially with Kyler Fisher on the field and Sebastian Castro at strong safety uh, as Wampa kind of recovers from uh, whatever's bothering him with that hand, though he looked really good against Northwestern uh, anyway. So uh, very curious to see uh, 
Because you, you just can't let Rutgers go down the field. Um, they've had a lot of early success in games. You just can't let them go down the field early. So I just wonder, you know, Phil Parker doesn't like to stack the run early. He likes to feel it out. Um, but we'll see if how aggressive the Hawkeyes are going to be uh, in the run game. Number two on our five big questions, Tyler, also a defensive question. Look at us focusing on defense today. Uh, how many turnovers does Iowa need to create to win this game? The Hawkeyes, I wrote about this on Tuesday, have created zero turnovers in the last two games, Minnesota and Northwestern. The Hawkeyes are minus three in turnover margin for the season. It would be their first negative turnover margin season since 2014. They're typically in that plus nine, plus 11, plus six type of range. And how about this? Rutgers just does not turn it over very much. Only eight all season. So how many does Iowa need, Tyler, to win this game? I feel like it'll depend on how many times Iowa turns the ball over. It it feels like Iowa, in my opinion, might need to be at least plus one in that turnover margin against Rutgers. So if Iowa doesn't turn the ball over at all, it'll need to, you know, force one, at least one. If Iowa turns the ball over once, it'll need to force at least two. Uh, getting, I mean, getting those extra possessions for as bad as the offense is, you just you need to give it as many chances as possible mm-hmm. to get it in there because, um, as we've kind of seen, eventually they break through with something, uh, whether that be a field goal or uh, a touchdown, but the more chances that uh, you can get that offense just to, just to have a shot of putting the ball on the field. And not only that, but if those turnovers, uh, you know, if Iowa can turn that into a pick six, yeah. I mean, it, it feels almost like one defensive touchdown might really be all Iowa needs to win. I mean, that's, it, it's crazy to say, but it feels like that might be true because if the offense puts up 10 and you have a defensive touchdown – then that's 17, and it, it feels like that But to score more than 17 against Iowa's defense is going to be a challenge. But I feel like as much as taking care of the ball has been an issue, that the fact that Iowa just hasn't been able to create those those kind of big plays on the defensive side like Sebastian Castro did with that pick six, six against Iowa State, that, that that has really hurt Iowa in terms of because offense has been so bad. Uh, the defense hasn't been the offense as well. It's just been the defense. So, I'm going to say two turnovers. Need two on Saturday to to have a chance to win this game, um, or to ensure a win. I'll say ensure a win. Uh, Rutgers 12 and one under Greg Schiano since the start of the 2020 season when they do not commit a turnover. And funny you say the pick six uh, thing there, Tyler, because. Uh, Wimsett has thrown three pick sixes this year, and they've all been catastrophic, and they've all been in losses. Uh, 95 yards against Wisconsin. I believe it was a 96-yarder against Ohio State last week while Rutgers was leading in the third quarter. And then I remember uh, watching it, watching one happen with you uh, up in Penn State while uh, Rutgers was up at Michigan. So, um, you know, this he has thrown – some pick sixes, and that's really derailed the season for Rutgers because other than that, they've really taken care of the ball. They've only put the ball on the ground four times in nine games this year, four times. They've lost three of those fumbles, but that's really it's really hard to do, and Iowa has not even forced a real fumble in the last two games, the only one being that, that wayward snap by Northwestern last week that was like a minus 17-yard gain. So 
I'll say two turnovers. Number three, Tyler, are we more likely to see Marco Lyonez or Caleb Johnson play offense on Saturday? Mm. Uh, I'll say Caleb Johnson. Uh, I think. I, I mean, I think he probably needs to play. I like that was kind of one of the more perplexing things from Saturday, and we, you know, I asked Kurt parents about it on Tuesday, and he basically said there's no drama. He made it sound like it was a coach's decision. But, I think that's like the definition of drama, isn't it? Yeah. Like there, well, there's no injury. Yeah. There's no drama. Right. We just yeah. didn't want to play, you know. One of your best offensive <laughs> yeah. players, like on a horrible offense, so, <laughs> so which makes really not much sense. But, no, I mean, it feels like with the Marco Linus situation that the only chance he gets thrown in there or at least Deacon Hill to get taken out is if he is just has – a catastrophic amount of turnovers because that's kind of the one thing that Iowa can't afford uh, is to be turning the ball over a ton. And I mean, he turned it over three times against Minnesota and stayed in there. I just, I just don't see much of a path for them to take Deacon Hill out. So I think the more realistic shot is for Caleb Johnson. And again, LeSean Williams has been really good, but uh, Caleb Johnson, I think brings an important element to the offense. He's shown the ability to kind of hit the home runs and, um, I, I feel like, you know, not having him on the field is, is hurting an offense that probably can't really afford, uh, you know, to have some of its best playmakers off the field. Yeah, I'm going to say more likely that it's Caleb Johnson just because uh, Kirk didn't make it sound like it was a long-term deal. He kind of made it sound like we're going to need all three. So uh, that's where my vote would be there. But the reason I put this question in is because – it is very intriguing that Iowa has not really publicized the fact that Marco Linez is their number two quarterback. Uh, he took the number twos in warmups. Joe Labus remains two on the depth chart, but Linez is their number two right now. So um, clearly he's showing them something in practice, and clearly they're ready to uh, elevate him in some way should Deacon Hill struggle. The funny thing is, or the interesting thing is, you know, in that Minnesota game, as bad as he was, Iowa was leading most of that game. So, you know, that's not like Kirk Ferentz to pull a guy when Iowa is leading the contest. So, uh, you know, I think that was part of it as well. So if Iowa could get, you know, were to get behind, I'm not saying, yeah, go get behind so you can bring in Linus. Uh, but if you if you see Iowa fall behind and, and Deacon is struggling, then I think maybe it's, hey, let's see what we got here uh, with – a true freshman uh, who has some mobility, and I think this offense could really use some mobility at quarterback. And uh, I mean, as long as Marco, you know, knows the offense enough to uh, take care of things out there and not be a disaster in that on that front, it feels like the performance at quarterback probably would not be a major drop off. So, just interested to see what happens. Interested to see what happens. All right, number. I'm not, go ahead. I'm not. Sure, I'm not sure. Like. <laughs> There's not really much more it can drop off. I mean, I feel bad for saying that, but like, it, I mean, I was quarterback play can't get a whole lot worse unless it's just firing interceptions every play. <laughs> uh, exactly. Uh, number four, uh, I got this from the text group. Uh, I thought I'd throw it into the show tonight. What combination of rushing receiving yards and which players would it take for Iowa to cross? 250 or 300 total yards this week. On our rundown, Tyler, I kind of put down the Purdue game as sort of 
the model. Now, obviously, they had Eric All for the, this that game. They do not have him this one. But in that game, Iowa gained 291 in offense, averaged 5.2 yards per play, and rushed for about 200 yards in that game. Caleb Johnson had 134 on the ground. LeSean Williams, 73 on the ground. I feel like that's the type of day you need to replicate against Rutgers to have a shot to win. And the challenge is that you don't know exactly who will be on the offensive line for Iowa come this week yeah, because of the injuries from last season or from last week, excuse me. So that drops a little bit more uncertainty into it. But I do agree that if if, if the two hundred fifty to three hundred, you know, total yards happen, it's gonna have to be on some home runs hit. It's gonna have to be a Leshawn Williams eighty yard run. And it they have the ability to do that. He is, he did that against uh he had a long touchdown run against Wisconsin. Caleb Johnson has had a long, you know, touchdown run. Jazz Patterson against uh, Iowa State, even though he got caught near the goal line, he had a long touchdown. So, or not, not a long touchdown. He had a long run right. uh, that wasn't a touchdown. But Iowa's running backs do have the ability to kind of break out, you know, those uh, long rushes. And I feel like that's sort of what you're betting on. Uh, Iowa had, didn't have that against Northwestern. It didn't have that against Minnesota. Maybe it's due for it. On the other hand, teams are pretty much just keying in on the run, so it, that makes it a little bit more difficult to really get the line of scrimmage moving. But uh, to get that figure, I feel like it's going to have you know maybe a long you know it's going to have to be a long pass, a trick play, or maybe Cooper DeGene if he's back on offense breaking something or using him as a decoy. But it, yeah, it's going to have to I feel like be a, a few kind of just really. Uh, really long plays. Yeah, the problem is Rutgers is number two in the country in giving up fewest big plays, uh, 17 plays all year of 20-plus. Iowa number one in the country, 12 plays of 20-plus. Well, so, uh, you know, it's, just forget everything I said. <laughs> no, but, but that, you're right. I mean, it's funny that we're talking about Iowa needs a home run play to reach that 250 to 300 mark. I mean, 258 is number 132 out of 133 in college football. <laughs> And that's Eastern Michigan. Iowa's down at 225 yards per game. So we're setting a pretty low bar here. Uh, but still, uh, I'm going to say Cooper DeGene rushing yards. I feel like uh, you know, throw him out there for 10 snaps and maybe he rushes for 30 yards. And, you know, you talked to Caleb Brown yesterday. And, uh, you know, could he maybe uh, spark this passing game? Uh, Deontay Vines a little bit dinged up. Uh, you know, I'd say, you know, Try your new guys here. Try Caleb Brown. Try Kit, correct. Try Cooper DeGene. Uh, maybe get Seth Anderson involved again. I liked what Addison Ostrenga brought to the table. Seems like he's kind of acclimating to that number one tight end role. Feel like it's going to have to be a team effort. And at some point, Iowa's going to have to throw the ball through the air. All right, number five, Tyler. Haven't talked much about this lately because we haven't uh, had a home game of late. Uh, the Kinnick Edge. What will the crowd be like on Saturday? Uh, the second half, you know, with daylight savings, everything like that, is going to be under the lights, and always under the lights at Kinnick is can be special things. No more fire Brian chance, you don't think, because they've already taken care of that. <laughs> so what do you expect from the crowd on Saturday, and can that be the ultimate factor? I'm interested to see what the, the dynamic of the energy is in there, because there was earlier in the season before it was announced that Brian Ferentz won't be returning after the season. There was definitely a lot of frustration, a lot of angst. It, it felt like sort of a mix of emotions uh, between frustration about the offense, but 
I was still winning and, you know, I don't know. It just felt like a mix of things. I'm curious to see if like, will this maybe lift some of that tension off the crowd of knowing that Brian Ferentz isn't coming back? Is, is this maybe a crowd that even more, especially so embraces the fact that this team has just been through a lot this season and is continuing to fight. I, I, I think it'll be uh, given the circumstances and that I was still, you know, very a chance of getting to the big 10 title is very is very much in reach i think it'll be a really good crowd i feel like it might be somewhat of a renewed energy just because of uh the news about brian ferentz and and sort of just a light at the end of the tunnel but we saw especially in that michigan state game how much that crowd played a factor in it because michigan state had those penalties um and and iowa can take every single drop of help that it, it can get you know that's why we've been talking about how razor thin the margins of one penalty one false start whatever it may be can kind of swing the momentum or you know the outcome of the game so i you know i think kinnick will definitely definitely has the potential to play a role in the game really important for the hawkeyes to stay close in the first half records has been a very very good starting team, but its worst quarter this year has been the third quarter. So if the Hawkeyes can maybe just get it tied, tied at halftime, uh, get the get the game under the lights for the second half, then I would like their chances a lot more. Coming up next, the Iowa women's basketball team with a huge game Thursday night against Virginia Tech, and the Iowa men have an exciting season opening win to talk about. Plus, our Iowa Rutgers game predictions coming up next here on Hawk Central one hundred six point three KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register racing you to the finish line with Tyler Tashman. Let's talk about some Iowa basketball, Tyler. The number three Iowa women opened their season by destroying Fairleigh Dickinson uh, 102-46 on Monday night. Caitlin Clark, 28 points, 10 assists. Hannah Stulke, 22 points in 18 minutes. Sharon Goodman, 19 points in 16 minutes. And Addie O'Grady, 9 points. A really strong showing from the post play, uh, really, what you wanted to see uh, from the Jan uh, Jensen Development School, uh, despite uh, non Caitlin Clark shooters going two for nineteen from three point range in that game, I'm not too worried about that. But now the Hawkeyes will have to uh, see how those posts fare against two time ACC Player of the Year Elizabeth Kitley of number five Virginia Tech. She is a six foot six center and really, really good. Virginia Tech, a Final Four team, uh, along with Iowa last year, but was knocked out in the semis by LSU. Uh, Hokies are ranked fifth in the country. The Hawkeyes ranked third. Game in Charlotte. Our our uh, colleague Dargan Southerd is on his way there uh, this evening. Uh, and you got to hear from Lisa Bluter and Kate Martin and Gabby Marshall today in Iowa City. Tyler, what did you learn? Yeah, this game, I mean, it's a great opportunity just for Iowa – to figure out where it is really early in the season. And uh, obviously having Caitlin Clark Clark back is uh, massive from last season, and, and that's a big piece, but this is also a different team than last season. So I think that uh, this is a really good test just to see at, at, at this point where Iowa stands, how elite they are. And uh, one thing Lisa Bluter did say was that this, she feels like this game, no matter the outcome, is going to be beneficial come March. And I agree that, you know, even if Iowa loses at this point in the season, getting some, you know, failing, getting some feedback, struggling, 
learning where they still have to grow, I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. So this is the type of game that, uh, you know, if, if Iowa does lose that in the immediate aftermath of it probably won't feel great, but uh, it, it does kind of give them a good barometer of where they are, what they need to get better with. And uh, if they lose the game, it's not the end of their season. So they, you know, this is one that maybe you look at will will really pay dividends down the road. Yeah, and LSU women, number one in the country, lost its first game. Uh, and I almost, I know there was a lot of people celebrating that. And it is kind of funny uh, that they loaded up and then lost uh, their first game pretty convincingly to Colorado. But I, I thought the same thing about them. Kim Mulkey's a great coach. Lisa Bluter's a great coach. They'll probably grow from this loss more than they would have gained from winning that one. So, uh, yeah, just take, Take it for what it is Thursday night. Enjoy the game. It's going to be a lot of fun uh, to see how the Hawkeyes measure up early in this season. Iowa men, Tyler, last night uh, defeated North Dakota 110-68. to uh, Hawkeyes were a minus 19, but won by 42. So really impressive performance all the way around. What I liked the most was only seven turnovers on 79 possessions for a very young team, a new team. Uh, what impressed you the most last night, Tyler? pretty thorough and dominant performance there there was a lot of things to like out of it um it was at the 110 points was the most in a season opener in the Fran McCaffrey era at Iowa and so you're talking about an offensive juggernaut of a program and to be breaking you know doing having a first from the offensive side of the ball is pretty crazy and, and Iowa went 53 percent from the field 50 percent from three in 90% from the free throw line, which is like really rare. Like that's really, that's really impressive to do that. Not only as an, an individual, but as a team, uh, I thought there was, you know, look very early in the season, this was against North Dakota, who is preseason pick fifth in their conference. So obviously this is not like a massive matchup or anything, but uh, there's a lot of fun pieces. It, it, it strikes me as a team that could be very fun Uh Six guys scoring in double figures. All five of the starters were in double figures. Each of the four scholarship freshmen kind of added a, a unique ingredient. Uh, Owen Freeman, 14 points in his official Iowa debut. Uh, Laji Dembele hit two threes, and he's also the guy that and had a uh, dunk. It, well, yeah, he had it, but I was against Quincy. He had a chase down block where he just obliterated it against the backboard, and now he comes back. Uh, in this game and, and hits two threes, so it's kind of eye-opening to the things that Iowa can do. It, it looks like it could potentially be a deeper team, maybe a more well-balanced team. If, if anything, a team where more guys can, uh, more individuals have the potential to hurt you on a on a game-in and game-out basis rather than just really relying on Chris Murray uh, as it did last season or, or Philip Robracha. But, no, I mean, I very early – but it looks like there were some you know, compelling dimensions to this team, and it looks like it, it could be a fun group to watch develop. One thing that really stood out to me uh, that surprised me a little bit was how good DeSante Bowen looked. This is a guy that was – you could see the little bit of flashes last year, the little bit he got in. He didn't play much. But he took – you know, he became the starting point guard for this team for a reason, uh, and he looked really good. He hit the first three points of the game, and – he had to, I believe, twelve points, five assists. Am I doing? Does I, I remember that correctly? Something like that. And uh, yeah, he he just looked the part. And Iowa has lacked a long, athletic, 
point guard the entire Fran era. They just haven't had that person. So if he could be that guy, this team becomes uh, uh, something much, much different. And, uh, you know, a night when uh, Brock Harding also has seven assists off the bench, uh, thought that was really impressive. So, yeah, like you said, really fun pieces. Uh, Friday night against Alabama State, 7 o'clock on Peacock. But kind of like the women, Tyler, the Hawkeyes get an early uh, an early season big test on the road uh, next Tuesday night before we do our next Talk Central show uh, at Creighton. <laughs> it's like a 9-15 tip-off or something like that. Uh, that'll be a, they're a top ten team, so uh, we'll see what, what this team made is made of pretty quickly. It, yeah, nine nine or after nine o'clock central is brutal. Like, yeah, they're gonna need we're gonna need some caffeine for that. But um, yeah, no, I think you make a good point about Desante Bowen because we saw kind of the opposite side to him in that exhibition where he he was pretty prone to turnovers and. He had zero turnovers against North Dakota, five assists, three rebounds, 12 points, which is just a tremendous stat line for a point guard. And he's sort of the guy that, I mean, he, he's really elusive with the ball. He's a great playmaker, but he kind of is going to have to walk on that line between uh, staying in control but also still making plays because that's a, that's a really fine line to walk, and it, it's it's easy to – let that be, uh, you know, just being, uh, you know, being out of control or, or, you know, causing more mistakes than needed. But I thought against North Dakota, he he looked exactly kind of what you would hope he would be. And Peyton Sanford looked uh, like he'd be he's going to be the leading scorer, which was my prediction. Ben Cricky looked good, too, and uh, didn't really need much from McCaffrey or Perkins. So uh, let's flip to football, Tyler. It is time for our predictions. As we said, Iowa – versus Rutgers. This is a huge game. If Iowa can win this game, it really puts itself in great position in the Big Ten West, especially if even a little bit more help comes along on Saturday. Maybe Nebraska loses to Maryland. We'll see. Uh, what do you think happens on Saturday at Kinnick Stadium? I just I, I just think I was in a tough position because I think Rutgers has put up a fight against some really good teams and it wouldn't surprise me if they come out of Kinnick Stadium with a win. I would say I think Rutgers comes out with the win 16-10. to 10. I'm just just too much uncertainty about Iowa's defense, and I feel like, honestly, this might be one of the toughest matchups that Iowa's had all season because if Rutgers was in the West, uh, it probably would win the West. So that's, you know, it, it, it's been had to play in a tough East, and I think that this is a tough matchup. Yeah, in my heart of hearts, I just feel like Iowa's going to find a way to win, but I just can't make that prediction uh, on paper just because on mat, you know, this matchup, I mean, Rutgers' total defense is actually even better than Iowa's, and just watching them play you know, Michigan and Ohio State, pretty tough. I mean, the scores ended up getting out of hand later in those games, but they, they were leading Ohio State into the third quarter until that pick six happened, and uh, they, you know, they they couldn't punch in a few touchdowns, or they really could have could have pulled the huge upset. So, uh, I think Rutgers has the better offense, you know, for sure. Uh, seems healthier. They're well coached. Uh, I like I said earlier, Iowa's going to have to have turnovers if they're going to win. So, I just I feel like this is a game that's just not going to go Iowa's way. Uh, happy to be proven wrong on that, but we're on the same page, Tyler. I've got Rutgers winning this one. 
17 to 13. So I guess I have the total going over as well. So I don't know. I just want to see a lot of Cooper DeGene on offense. Well, I mean, I think even if you just like use him as a decoy, you don't even need him to have the ball because he'll, he'll take eyes with him wherever he's at. So. <laughs> Sounds good, my friend. And we will see you uh, Saturday at Kinnick and uh, see about 69,250 uh, of you fans there as well. Good. All right, make sure to catch our post-game podcast probably in that 8.30 range. We'll give you an ETA on social media on Saturday night from Kinnick. It's Iowa and Rutgers. Uh, big, big game uh, on BTN uh, this Saturday. All right, coming up next uh, is KXNO's Fantasy Camp with Nathan, Nathan Fisher and Tyler Allen. And we will catch you next Wednesday night at 6 p.m. here on Hawk Central, 106.3 KXNO. Good night, everyone. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.